down your unders. Down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this very, very special episode 126 of the Art of War Down Under podcast. My name, as always, is Adam Camilleri, and we are joining you from... Sometime in the future, I don't. I'm not quite sure. I said 126 at the start of this thing, and I'm hoping I'm sticking to it because I'm actually not 100 sure when this is getting released. I am banking a bunch of content for you guys um, lovingly because I got a very busy January, as you know. I'm playing an uprising, headed straight off uprising, straight to the LVO, mm-hmm. and so I am banking a bunch of stuff for the future. Not quite sure what the orders are going to be because, of course, I have reviews of the balanced data slate in the pipe already. I've already done that with Matt Morisoli. I have points review coming up later in this week i'm doing and the mission so you can look forward to all that amazing stuff coming in the next couple of weeks but of course i needed to get all that stuff done but i have no idea when it's going to drop when it's going to come out so the order could be freaking any of them despite that we are here to continue the journey where i'm interviewing all the top players in the lead up to the lvo at the end of this first full 12 month itc season we have had since 2019 i'm joined by world number four right now mr david gaylard you might know him by these other moniker the other show he's on which is the 40k fireside hello brother welcome to the show hey thanks for having me dude it's good uh, it's good for the antipodians or the southern hemispheres to join up finally <laughs> well i was gonna say <laughs> i actually missed my 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 notes because i was gonna say he's new zealand's uh Best export, <laughs> export or some crap like that. But yeah, I forgot about it. Um, no, that's good. That's a good one. <laughs> so it's pretty good. So you're a Kiwi living in the UK, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I've been here for three years now. Uh, we moved over nice. in 2019, uh, just before COVID hit, and <laughs> we're in lockdown for about and two years. They, uh, it was stuck. It was too late to go back. But yeah. for these guys who do not know, um, interviews at the top is when, you know, towards the end of the ITC season, I go back and I interview the top players to find out how they're doing, how they're feeling, what their journey was to get them in the position to go and win the ITC, go and win the LVO, stuff like that. So I'm going to be talking to a good man, David, here. What has he taken? Um, this year to get such success, what events has he gone to and won, but also getting to know the man himself a bit a bit deeper and uh, hope you guys give you some insights into a top player, their mindset and what has garnered them such success. Um, there is two parts of this podcast. This first part, we're going to be talking more about the game and the meta and the mechanics and the journey uh, for this last 12 months for David. And in part two, we're going to get to know him a little bit better, talk a bit about his childhood, what makes him good at 40K, how many hours he puts in, what's his practice like, you know, et cetera, et cetera, really delve into the mindset. So if you're interested in that at all, please come over to um, Patreon, Art of War Down Under. Just search it there. That is the only place where you can get the part twos of my content now. Um, I have had an amicable, for the betterment of the business of Art of War, in, in total, we have Voltroned out all the podcasts from the bundles. And so because we, were, we realized we were devaluing the whole shebang, the whole everything we were doing by having them in one click. So the only place you can get my content now, the second part, is there. Everything else, the part ones will still be going out um, to general populace on the same aggregates. David, tell us a little bit about the things you do. Plug it yourself, my dude. Yeah, so um, yeah, nice to meet the listener, if you're listening. Um, myself and Vic VJ host the 40K Fireside podcast. It's a UK competitive-based podcast where uh, Vic and I talk about our experiences and our take on the game. Uh, and it's just been an amazing journey. We've had 11 episodes so far, and um, yeah, it's mm. been awesome. But what I would say is Adam also produces some of the best content as well. <laughs> and Adam produces content... Um, I, that I really like, and I know Vic is a huge fan, um, because oh. actually Adam is really involved in the game, 
plays the game and not only interviews but brings his own opinions about the game and whatnot like that. And I, I really love that as well. Talking shop about Thank 40K. you for it. <laughs> Thank you very much, mate. Lovely of you to say. And you know, coming from such a, a pair of mediocre players on such a, <laughs> a, a non renowned podcast such as the Fireside where, you know, you're both very you haven't really done anything, have you? You're just very mediocre, middle of the pack. But yeah. uh, it's two of the best players. It's two of the best players in the world right now, guys. Uh, so yeah, jump over and enjoy that fireside goodness. It's just like, for me, I listen every week and I try and be a sponge as much as I can, just to soak up all that genius. Yeah. But anyway, let us jump in, my man. Give us your impressions of the current state of the game, the current state of the meta, and the state of 40k. Yes, obviously the meta is in quite a flux at the moment. Um, so I'll, I'll take the question as if uh, the meta, you know, no data slate or or arc of omens or points. Uh, I actually think the meta is in a really fantastic position, and I think we're embarking in a lot of ways upon what people would normally uh, describe the end of an edition as kind of the golden era. Uh, I know a lot of people, I didn't play personally, but I thought the end of 8th edition was the golden era of 8th as well. And I really think that's reflected in the statistics of tournaments as well especially those in the uk and primarily when i talk about my experience it'll probably be from the uk pers- uh, perspective but uh, i was doing a bit of thinking about this last night and um in coventry super major i think we had seven out of eight different factions in the top eight uh and yep. then in, in the two-day event which i went undefeated in we had three different factions and then recently at leicester we had three out of four different factions in the top four two thousand sons but one event, one list was actually playing 30 Terminators. Um, so it was even quite a different archetype of a list. Yeah. So I think the meta is actually the healthiest it's been for the entirety of Ninth Edition. And I think the boogeymen are not as big as they previously were. And I think a lot of players feel at the moment in the game that it's a there's a, there's a chance to compete on skill more so than, than, it, than it, ever, it ever has been. Exactly right. So, so essentially, as soon as Leviathan got taken down <laughs> it, 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 that's that was really the point when it became really good right um yeah it was it was okay before that like it was pretty manageable it wasn't toxic or there were some pretty big speed bumps b- before leviathan <laughs> but. yeah but, uh, but it seems like as soon as leviathan got cleared that's when we've really hit the calm waters where so many more things can compete and you're absolutely right the kind of middle 12 months or literally the the nine months between orcs and gsc coming out and mm. then the second Space Marine Codex was magnificent. Some of the best 40k I've ever played. That was 8th edition. And mm-hmm. essentially, the same timeline has hold, held true for 9th edition now. We've had, mm-hmm. like, near... Well, it's been an easy six months, if not nine to 12 months, where the game's been in a really good state. Mm-hmm. Essentially, since the last LVO, like, Nids came out, Custodius were out, Eldar came out, everything went to hell. As soon as those things got reasonably barren, it's, it's, it's been quite nice, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, we, we played Yeah, we played ninth at the previous LVO as well. So, so important to know that we had the Admic Incarnation and Thick City are previous to, to that as well. I know we think of the ninth edition as sort of LVO to LVO, and um, I'm guessing that's what you were talking about just then as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we had Big Boogeyman previous to uh, Leviathan Nids, and then we had obviously Quinn's uh, Tau <laughs> um, yeah. as well that were, um, yeah, that were just, uh, yeah. But, but I think the game and the way that the game develops now is a lot less speed bumpy or, or peaks and troughs in that sense and that, Books that get released now are a lot more balanced, and I think Games Workshop is more um, active in the game than it ever has been, which is obviously positive, and we see that with Votan, uh, the changes being made preemptively before the Codex yeah. launch, uh, which was enormous. So, I, no one would have predicted they would have done that uh, a year ago in, or two years ago. In saying that, where do, where, where do you with uh, thinking guards are boogeymen or not? I'm just dropping this on you as a hot take. Like, yeah. Is guard going to be a boogeyman? Knowing it's, it's, not, it's not getting adopted for LVO, yeah. but... 
So I think, um, yeah, taking that in context of the new Ark of Omens detachment, I think Guard are going to be really powerful, particularly because they are able to be souped in with other Imperium factions, if I'm not correct. So if my understanding is also correct, you can soup Guard and Votan, for example. And I think uh, souping Knights is actually significantly easier in the Ark of Omens detachment as well, right? Uh, you don't have to pay three CP for heavy auxiliaries yeah, now, exactly. so I think guard are actually going to be the flavor of the of the soup nowadays um, because because Imperium has basically opened up to be souped and they they cover so many yep. bases that so many armies fundamentally lack. Right, like if you think of Votan, you can soup three heavy mortar squads into um, uh, into Votan with Ursula Creed, yeah. for example. Yeah. I mean that's just the most straightforward run, right? So you have mm-hmm. three lots of solid indirect to go to kind of complement your direct fire army that doesn't necessarily yep. have otherwise way to, to passively pressure your opponent into you. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to be really strong. I think Mono Guard is also pretty strong, you know, assuming Cassicans get um, nerfed. <laughs> Some, but um, yeah. but at the moment, I've, I've played them a couple of times, but Thousand Sons are also very good into Guard, so I'm not, I'm not oh, too yeah. worried about them at the moment. You can't actually, as far as I found out, uh, recently, is you, you can't shoot on death if you die in the psychic phase. <laughs> <laughs> Those are actually really true. Yeah, I haven't yeah. thought about that. So it's a but, good um, it, really well said. Of course, the other thing going for them in the Arcs of Omen is that they, if they want, they can just unga take as many Lehman Russes and Dawns as they want and get a full complement of CP for it, yeah. which is kind of terrifying. Yep. Um, and that's a legitimate right. way to play, right? You can just play Absolutely. six yeah. uh, or nine heavy support or something, no troops, yep. play five obsec. And you give up, bring it down, but, you know, perhaps you have a thick army, right? They can they can score 15 if they want, and they'll get nothing for anything else because you'll just body them. But <laughs> exactly. anyway, they get stats checked out of the game. Wow, how did you get started in this hobby? How long have you been playing, dude? Man, so um, you, you'll understand this just like I did, um, is that I started playing when I was probably 12 years old or 11 years old um, on my farm in New Zealand. And nice. when I say farm in New Zealand, you know, I'm talking like... Um, this is this is as small town as it gets, right? And so, naturally speaking, I was um, a friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine, a childhood friend called Liam, had uh, some Space Marines, right? And we were this is like when we were in high school, you know, and um, we would like meet up at the science class in the uh, at lunchtime and do some painting and stuff like that, and, and play board games and Dungeons D and D, right? Play lots of D and D, and eventually, oh, yeah. um, some of my friends like, oh, you know, we've got some 40k models, right? And I'm talking like, you know, like some rhinos and some space <laughs> and, and i was like oh this game is really fun and so i was like oh you know um in starcraft i really like zerg and so i was like oh you know uh, turnits are pretty cool and so i bought some secondhand turnits right so i literally had an old carnifex screamer model like square base with the pincers Sick. like out the front <laughs> like the og yeah. one so i, yeah, I yeah. bought like secondhand models and we played on my fam uh, like an old um model train set that had been sculpted with like mountains and ruins on it um like or we just played on the floor right or we played with bottle caps um and that was that was just a blast like i always loved the game um but because it was new zealand it's extremely limited uh, and australia would have been at the time and and new zealand and australia still really are and but they're, they're growing and it's just a population thing really but um it's it's extremely limited to get games or compete and unless you kind of play for context guys when you live in New Zealand, unless you play a mainstream game, you you won't get a high level of competition, right? You won't be able to have opportunities to play on, like, a world stage or anything like that. That's just yeah. because there's yeah. not enough people, right? Um, so, like, the biggest games probably were Magic the Gathering um, and then, like, um, League of Legends um, and Dota 2 and stuff. 
So if you weren't playing sort of stuff like that, you know, you, you wouldn't have a competitive experience like we do here in the UK. So that kind of dropped off. I played a lot of competitive video games. Um, and I played competitive video games since I was a very young kid. Would you, sorry, a couple of questions. How big was the farm? Oh, uh, not not too big, not too big, like ten acres or something like that. But Dude, we have we have family uh, who who own, the, not well. My 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 dad's best brother, um, my dad's best mate's brother owns like the largest farm in the South <laughs> Island. <laughs> so, Dude, I was about to say, I was about to say where where in the where in New Zealand? Oh, and in Mighty Waikato, in the middle, in Hamilton, mate. Well, but yeah. out near well, Cambridge, but yeah. Dude, I grew up on I grew up on a little ten acre farm as well. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, great times. So you know, this, that's pretty funny. Mm. Uh, and uh, what competitive video, video games? games? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Video games. yeah, yeah. So I played um, so I played CS one point six, Counter Strike one point six. Oh. Played oh. Source. Yes. Uh, played yes. played Go for a bit, but that was more towards the end. But I played I played one point. I don't know if I played one point five, but I think I started on one point five. But I played a lot of competitive Source. Uh, I played in the Sevo main yep. team. This is when I was living in uh, in San Francisco, uh, and then I played um, uh, like Sevo Open leagues, uh, and I was like in a small sponsored team. Uh, but then actually, um, my biggest kind of like chances were actually in Heroes in New Earth, which was the kind of predecessor oh, to Dota Two. And I was playing. God. So I was playing the beta for Heroes of New Earth, and um, I was like one of the top ranked players on US West uh, when the beta Dude. launched into official public Dude. beta. Um, what, what was your MMR average? So this is at the time where the beta got launched. I was like nineteen yep. fifty or something like that. Oh, um, nice. So this is like three or four weeks into it. Um, and actually, so funny story. Um, well, obviously, Heroes of New Earth and and all those games get folded into Dota two later on in like the year to come, right? Yeah. Um, so I was playing that a lot, and actually, some of the players that I played against now play at the international um, at, at Dota, right? And so what what happens is I moved back from San Francisco. Uh, my, my family's like in technology and more like that. And I moved back to New Zealand and I get really into Dota 2, of course, plus still playing like CSGO. Um, I played Diablo 2 competitive, like <laughs> Path of oh Exile competitive. Dude, <laughs> you are speaking my languages, all of them. Like, Jesus. so, um, so, uh, wait, so on, on Diablo 2, I, I ran like 32 multi bot clients on D2JSP and sold money for like, uh, real money, uh, with <laughs> like Chinese CDGs. <laughs> Please yeah. give such. Yes. Yeah. On the uh, <laughs> TPPK, no, no. Exactly, man. Um, the... Dude, uh, we so uh, I might I might save some of these stories for another time. But did you yeah. ever go for the ladder? And did you play ever play hardcore? So I never played hardcore, and I never went. Pathetic. I never went for the ladder. So yeah, I'm a I'm a softcore scrub. But um, but yeah, <laughs> but man, I like played so much Diablo. I played a lot of RuneScape, oh PK and RuneScape, yeah. and stuff like that, of course. Um, but uh, um, yeah, so I ended up playing lots of Dota two. A lot of Dota 2 on and the in the SEA Singapore region, and this was before like servers got merged. Australia had servers and stuff like that. So yeah, yep. yeah, I was playing. I ended up playing with like KP. I uh, played against um, KP K Phoenix, um, yep, a yep. guy called Swindle Melons or 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 as he now is now known as his Watermelons, who is a international player. Is like plays at the international. So KP does as well. So yeah, it's um, it was an interesting point in my life because I was trans. I, I was actually in university and I was sort of before the wave of esports actually becoming a really thing something you could do for a career right yeah so, so backtracking a little bit how old are you yes i'm uh tw- i just turned 29 in december so i was born 1993 yeah yeah so you're just getting to like the back end of the big waves exactly like, yeah you could have been playing starcraft uh, well starcraft yeah. and cs and cs were two the two first kind of waves starcraft for sure. one, cs yeah. were the two big first wave kind of esports unless i'm completely off the rock and i've forgotten a couple no no you're but right. yeah 
that was that was kind of we we you and I could have gotten on those waves. Yeah. But uh, me especially, you were you're you're quite young for those. But uh, yeah, but there was there was there was a prime age, right? Like I was sixteen when I was like one of the top ranked players on US West and here on Hong. Um, Dude, so that was kind of the exact age you wanted to be at that time. And you know, looking back on it, um, I could have I could have maybe pulled the trigger to go in that direction. But um, I'm really glad I didn't. I, I I got I was really I was really good at Hon, but I was really yeah. bad with the team. Like, uh, I sorry, because I was a I was a bit of a he's a bit of a toxic. I was on the I was on the substances at the time. <laughs> oh, I see. And, I see. Uh, things well, I didn't play well with others, but I used to main Midas mid. Oh yeah, time, and just just <laughs> run through people. I think I broke two K MMR once. Yeah, nice, crazy. Once. Dude. Uh, that was it, uh, and yeah, I just had a really good run. It was, yeah. I think Midas got got a bunch of buffs that time because he was he was my main like almost almost all the time. Yeah. Him and like Ravener and stuff. But anyway, back to some 40k. We're actually gonna save a table a lot of the the other nerd talk for the part <laughs> because man, I could talk to you about that forever. Uh, but uh, biggest passions and peeves in tabletop gaming at the moment? Anything you'd love to? Everything? Anything you'd shout out as being something amazing that has happened mm. in the community in the last 12 months? And anything you'd like to shout out that's not going so well? We need to improve on. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, the UK scene is, is honestly, it's so fantastic. Like, it's crazy, man. Like, we have tournaments, like, every month where, mm-hmm. where the same 70 people, like, the same 70 people all attend, more or less. And this is, and, and every event is, like, 180 players or something, right? Um, so, I mean, yeah. that's just, you know, to see the scene evolve into that. And the best thing that's happened for the UK scene is, obviously, the UK TC circuit, where Zach has um being able to expand and run more and more tournaments uh and and actually make a profitable functional business out of running 40 or 40 k tournaments uh because as a player that's just you know people like as someone from new zealand understands like having tournaments and tournaments and tournaments is just not how it is for everyone everywhere right so i mean that's the best thing that's happened in the community over the past like 12 months and obviously it's been there but i feel like this year it's really just ramped up to the, such a quality of events that um yeah, it's, I think it's the most unrivaled uh, circuit on um, the world right now. I think it's very hard to disagree with you. I think you guys, what Zach has put together, what the UKTC has become in such a short amount of time, essentially, you know, coming out of COVID, and then just being mm. like, ah, oh, I can do, I can just do this exponentially, and bang, it just went and did it, and now mm. you guys are literally rolling in it. I'm so jealous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, in terms of peeves, I think. You know, I don't know. The game is in such a fantastic state. I'm, I'm an optimist as well. I'm never, I'm never a glass half empty kind of person. So I think the game's in a fantastic state. I think Games Workshop is ever so more active. Um, I think maybe, a, maybe a, I don't know. Maybe a pet peeve would be that you know this whole NDA and content creators thing is a little bit annoying. But um, yeah, it's a small yeah. gripe out of anything, right? Yeah. Fair. I'm a, I, I have actually a question from a patron wanting me to speak to that in part two, and I think I'm mm-hmm. going to, and I'm yep. going to speak to it again with a couple of different people who come on. Yeah. Um, but I will save that for part two, hundred percent, because I then we can just let it get juice in. If we want to swear about it, we can swear <laughs> about it. Uh, but jumping down, let's talk about um, your journey so far to get to number mm. four in the world. So um, you're number four. Have mm-hmm. you been number four before? I think you were in the top ten last year, but I, I don't think you were top five. I think I was maybe ninth or tenth last year. Yeah. Yeah. But um. Yeah, I remember. I, mm. But earlier in the year, I was number one as well. We've kind of all shuffled um, all of us guys. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Uh, so what events have you won? How have you made it to that position? Yeah. So one, uh, my. My biggest event of this year was the Birmingham Super Major, which was the largest Super Major outside of the London GT, obviously. I think it's 270 players, uh, where I played yep. Vic in the, in the game before the cut, uh, in a great game. Um, and then I played... You knocked uh, him out? 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's nothing worse than obviously knocking your teammate out. But um, uh, if you got to go, at least you may <laughs> get something out yeah. of it, you know? Yeah, it was kind of the finals, right? Um, uh, but um, played <laughs> in the cut. But um, yeah, so I was playing obviously Leviathan there. And then uh, after that weekend, I won the London Major, which was like a 100-player major as well. And then yep. um, the weekend after that, no, not the weekend after that, but like the next month, um, I also won the Leeds Super Major, which was like 220 players um, all back to back to back, uh, which was kind of just like a crazy run. Uh, I've had yeah, deep dude. runs and obviously other majors and whatnot like that. I think I haven't really bombed out of many tournaments, uh, apart from Coventry, where I, I took a loss in the first round and then jumped into the two-dayer. But um, yeah, yep. so I think most of that time, and then obviously at LVO this year, uh, well, I guess that's the new year, that's 2023, but uh, my, like, I played Crusher Stampede and got top eight at the LBO, and that was the very yeah. first like tournament where I, I'd, I'd done really well. Um, and it was just crazy for me. Like, such a, it was such an ecstatic time um, when I when I was like ranked one going into day three, <laughs> just like yeah, dude. playing Crusher Stampede, like destroying yeah. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, And I remember walking past and just, uh, so when you guys, I think Dice Down was having a practice day, I just came yeah. over and just kind of stirred the pot a bit just for the lulls, being like, ah, oh, you guys play Harpies pathetic yep. knowing harpies were fantastic and perfectly viable yep. but i do that sometimes just see what people do <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's a good you, way yeah. the, the look your whole crew gave me was fantastic i was like ha! <laughs> i know i'm joking but you guys don't and it's, yeah. it's easy fishing yeah so i'm looking i'm looking at you on it on um uh, the itc rankings right now so we have yeah birmingham with nids Leeds with nids uh leicester with t suns which was the most oh, yeah. recent one yeah mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, um, then it's then essentially all nids until we got to Coventry, which was demons. And then apart from that, it was all nids as well. So yeah. literally, uh, the question people are going to have is: Have nids carried you? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a fair enough question, you know. Um, and um, I was thinking about that as we were chatting earlier as well. And I think that um, w- what is evident of all the top players is that you know none of us have played weak armies, right? Um, and that's well, that's the nature of competitive 40k, of course, right? So, someone point to the last time somebody with a bottom army, I'm not meaning a mid or an upper tier army, someone with a bottom army, you know, made number one. Exactly. Um, right. Even people who would then go and say, ah, oh, SoCal with orcs, so orcs are not a bottom, bottom army, they just have a, people just don't get it. Uh, actually, orcs are really good. They're really good. <laughs> we can man. get into that They're too. Really good. <laughs> actually, Absolutely orcs are one really of the best good. armies in the game right now. <laughs> they are. Because people, just, people were just sleeping on the fact that they had just got one of the best secondary games. Yeah, they're green necrons, as we call yeah. them over here. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right because yeah. the second is so good but um so yeah but what no, do you do a, when people throw things that way i mean yeah, I know look, it's, I'm, a, it's a fair point right like um what i would say is though is that um if you look at the games um look at the events that i i won so the, the two biggest events i won were um birmingham super major and Leeds super major yep. birmingham super major i literally played against the best eldar players hell of doom player in the world mm-hmm. and probably of the whole season Vic vj my teammate and yep. that list, I can tell you pound for pound, was on the strength level of Leviathan. Like Under that list Tale was, of Doom. yes, yeah. that list was bonkers. Yep. Like I would sit for the first three turns, just asking Vic how many saves I was going to be taking, and he would just be yep. like, "Yeah, just run my sweeping hawks out, 120 shots, re-rolling <laughs> yep. for guide yep. Doom, Dire yep. Avengers out, you know, 40 shots, boom, AP4." Yep. And I'm yep. like, "Okay, just tell how many saves? How many saves?" He's like, "Yeah, 40 saves, 30 saves." I'm like. Okay, great. Like that list was insanely powerful as well. Mm-hmm. The only reason I was able to compete on those levels is because I, um, I, I you know, I was playing harpies, right? And that specifically was great against uh, um, yeah. that army as well, right? But also that mission where I, where I beat Vic was very favorable for me as well. Um, so that that run was mega hard, and I would say those armies were on on par with each other. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, then in the mirror, then in the finals, I played two mirror matchups, which I, which I won both. Right. Um, yep. So obviously, if you still are playing this, you're still beating. You have to have to beat other intuitive players yeah. as well, right? <laughs> I, I want everyone to take a moment to realize how lovely David is. Is indulging me in that question because most other top players who've had the sharks kind of circle around this kind of stuff is shut up. Everyone plays the best army in the game at the top of the events. If yeah. you want to win top of the events, you have to go through the best players with the best armies, no matter what. Exactly. So, and and like, I think if you, you want to win a super, if you want to win a super major, play whatever you want. But if you expect or demand of yourself to make a top eight. Pl- tr- played one of the best armies in the game for sure yeah and and, then like obviously with my competitive esports background and i played a lot of magic as well is that i'm under no disillusion that you got to come with the right tools for the job um and that that's i think that's definitely a mentality where 40k is getting better at but needs to mature the most in especially in the competitive scene and there have been some anti-competitive um kind of statements made um recently but we can jump to that later but um yeah and then then in leads i played um so it's like you know I'm playing against great players as well, and and a lot of people you know you when you when you're in the finals and the pressure and whatnot like that, even if your army is five you know let's say hypothetically five or ten percent worse, there is so much room for error in those games where you're playing like where you're playing at ten o'clock at night in a hall with four other people or something like that, right? Like they're packing up all the tables, right? Like this is not like glamour or something like that, right? You know, like for example at, at Birmingham where I won, um, I my my friend. Uh, Conrad Butterworth, my teammate, he left um, my my bag in his car as he drove back down to London, had all my work stuff in it for the next day. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, how am I going to get my, my work stuff? And he was like, dude, I'm already like two hours away. I'm like, don't worry about it, man. I'll, I'll sort it out. I didn't have a train ticket home. I needed to book a hotel. I literally asked wow. the judge to stop the clock. Can you book? I need to book a hotel, etc." And then one of the judges, Gareth, um, was super kind to give me a lift to a a, tr- a tube station that was like above London, you know, to get back home. So, I mean, that's like a 2 a.m. like date, right? To, to win a super yeah. major there. Um, and that's yeah. kind of what you're going through. So, with, with stuff like that's happening, you know, army strength is important. Of course, it's important. I'm not going to say that it isn't, but there is so much room for error that a good player the, yeah. um, can, can make a fault. There's one, and that's one of many factors. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, like you said you, just, you went through two mirror matches and one of the best Eldar players in the game at the peak yeah. of its powers. And you're yeah. just like, well, if I wasn't playing one of the best armies in the game, you think you would just get you just get rock paper scissors out straight up. Of course, right. Um, and and there's a confirmation bias there as well, right? It's because because I was able to win so much with Leviathan, it became one of the best armies in the game too, right? So if Vic was winning well, exactly. with Hail of Doom, perhaps we'd be having a different conversation, saying, "Oh, Hail of Doom was the best army at that time, right?" Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And it, it is a big, big perception thing, like we just talked about with orcs. People's perception that just orcs ain't there or ain't ain't in the position that um, a lot of people believe they are, and that the stats kind of support as well. Yeah. But um, one, oh, one thing. Your, wait, one thing yeah, I would no, say is uh, actually the Leeds tournament was kind of crazy as well. I played Nassim Fushane round one, then I played Carl Grundy round two. Nassim was playing uh, Space Marines, but his army was actually oh, okay. really good against Leviathan. Oh, like, dude. It was good against the scene. Was, was doing stuff with iron hand successes that he should not have been able to. Of do. course, right? His whole army was minus one damage, more or less, as well. So warriors were like really bad against and stuff like that. But his army was great against it. And then uh, I played Carl Grundy round two uh, on yep. Tau, almost lost that. And then I played against uh, I think Tom Brown round three, who I played in the finals of a major in the London major that I won the previous month. Okay, a really solid player. And then I played um, uh, the round, f- and then two other rounds. My opponents also went X and 1. And then in the finals, I played against Abaddon and, and uh, 13 Armagers. And then I played against Necrons. Yeah. Like, every single oh. opponent I played at that oh, major yeah. went went X and 1. So they only lost yeah. to me. So I had the highest strength of schedule 
even possible, theoretically possible in the whole tournament. So, like, if that's bless. not a crazy run, like, I don't know. <laughs> bless, no, and just bless you for justifying yourself to us as well. I, yeah. I, I, I appreciate the respect to you paid to me in the audience. Because um, a lot of other players, like, if I was to ask, like, Siegler the same question, you'd be like, shut up, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, people tend to just look at the army and, and think that that gives you wins, and it doesn't. It really doesn't. No, um, it, it really, it really, not at the level you're playing at. It really doesn't. Yeah. Uh, so, um, w- talking about the list you designed then, because there's not really much to talk about or unpack in the variety that you've taken. Mm. Uh, when designing those lists or when you're looking for what make what you believe will make you a list that will get you the results you've gotten, what do you try to identify? Yeah, so I think the biggest, um, so, so for Leviathan, just for example, I've, I very quickly, and I kind of arche- I designed or made popular the archetype of two by nine warriors. Um, so I very quickly realized that three by nine warriors were a very powerful data sheet. I very quickly realized that, um, with the high fleet nexus, you could constantly give them the five vulnerable. Uh, and I, I real, I actually played a tournament in Brighton the weekend before, um, with two maliceptors and three by nine warriors. And I very quickly realized that you cannot protect three by 27 warriors, but you can protect 18 because you can always have one back where they have to overextend to get to, and you can have one forward fully buffed, which is the powerhouse of that army. Um, so it's, as you know, having a strong, identifying strong data sets and synergies and then understanding the correct mix and, and where you can, um, where you can remove the possible weaknesses of your army, right? Like the army had, the reason the army was so strong is that if you played it at a masterful level, it had no weaknesses. It had nothing that you could, your opponent could get for free. Um, so if you played that way, then no, your opponents were never getting anything for free as well, which is great. Um, but then in terms of, in terms of thinking about tournament, uh, like Las Vegas is obviously the best example here, is uh, the most important thing you have to think about is terrain, I think. Uh, and player place terrain is a completely different beast than UKTC. Obviously, UKTC, we play on a standardized terrain set where we know what all the terrain is going to be uh, beforehand. Yep. And uh, the LVO is basically different in every single regards, man. Honestly, it's a bit of a wild west of, of terrain. Uh, and uh, this is certainly where I think UKTC pips the LVO because UKTC has 500 tables of standardized terrain, whereas LVO has kind of four or five different terrain sets, i.e. with different themes and what like that, yep. different buildings, yep. and you don't necessarily know what you're going to play on. So you could be exactly. at table 200, you could be at table 100, you can be in the top tables, which I hope they're going to fix the terrain for the top tables again. I'm, I'm sort of assuming yeah. that they are. Yeah. Um, they, but they probably will. Yeah, exactly right. Because there's kind of there's different there's certainly different qualities of of some terrain sets. Um, so hopefully they um, hopefully they they make all the top tables their best terrain set, uh, which I think is um, is it the new one? It's like Gothic. Uh, ruins well, just or something. just I'll just have you stay on stream the whole event and guarantee. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So player play strain changes a lot of things, uh, and actually that that should have a huge impact on on the, your decision choices. Um, and, uh, you know, so play, play, strain being you can close angles a little bit more, but if you're shooting army, you can actually force angles to be open in the midboard by blocking out objectives with crates and whatnot like that. Uh, and then what, uh, what units are you going to take? Right. So in UKTC, we have the big, the notorious big L, which is the, the huge, like monolith old eighth edition L where you can hide yeah. behind, uh, you can hide big monsters and stuff like that. You can hide swooping orcs behind, you can hide at one aircraft behind, uh, reasonably well. Um, so that changes a lot of uh, things, and then it's just you know what you feeling at the time, right? Like if you if you're comfortable on the list, then I've always thought it's better to play a list that you're comfortable on and you know inside and out, like the back of your hand, than it is to pick up a new list 
and um, and sort of only have five or ten reps under your belt with it. Yeah, totally appreciate everything you said. I think it's all pretty spot on for a lot of people to believe. Um, what are some of the biggest wins and losses this, this year? I know you bombed out. <laughs> of, uh, an, of an event this year which one is it to the bottom of your rankings yeah so is I played, it, uh, I played Coventry the Coventry yeah yeah so I actually um, I was a bit of a dingbat and uh, didn't set my faction so I got a 10 VP discount um, <laughs> on my Bless first round Zach. Adam the Adam that is on the Thursday show my alter, alter ego on the Thursday show is very grateful to Zach for punishing people for not having their factions listed yeah and it's com- like it's completely yeah. fair you know like Zach's got a tournament to run and the reason you need to see your faction is so that he can make people check the same factions and lists right and i didn't do that and so that completely deserved like through and through like i'm never going to be someone who's salty about something like that like i, I had a complete control of that um and I, and, I, and I messed up um so yeah i played against like i got marcus hinson on nights and then i ended up losing by like four points and then obviously um that was after the 10 vp discount and then, and then i actually just played a super rough matchup for demons uh i just played against orcs and actually, orcs are so good against demons, like, because they have so much. They just have so much stuff, and all their attacks are just, ah, uh, you know, like, AP 1, damage 1, strength 5, or something like that, you know, but I've got, like, 4 attacks, yeah. and actually, it just turns out that's super good into demons. Um, so, yeah, just that's the first time I've ever not 3 0 day 1, I think. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just figured, you know what, I'll, um, I'll take some time out, I'll just relax, uh, and uh, I'll go play in the two day event. But, like, honestly, that event was, it was never an event that I was going to try my best and win like i wanted to play demons really badly and i knew that demons weren't amazing um especially on uktc with the shooting variant lists um like i literally had auto losses against tons of the top players there uh, yeah. on paper um so for me it was just a fun tournament honestly it's, which sounds bizarre but i had a blast um we had so many great people playing there There's so many great games as well uh, like from top player games anthony vanilla came across to play and so i just oh, took so i just took the round three off um dropped uh and then just watched games which was just man, it was honestly it was a blast um so yeah that tournament for me was more about having fun and i think it's important sometimes to to keep everything in perspective sometimes like if you know it's a it's important to have fun in the game as well and if you Absolutely. as a top level can player and my my relationship with 40k has changed a lot this year um it was matured a lot i would probably say um it's important to keep perspective on things um and not not just try and go to tournaments as a job to win well, um, that, I, yeah. I was about to say, I, I applaud you for still maintaining that this needs to be fun for you. Yeah, um, it's important. I know, well, dude, I know a lot of the Art of War boys have struggled at times, especially Nick has struggled mm. at times with like, uh, I have to play, I have to play 40k two to three times a week, every week, no mm. matter what. So he's just lost his passion to, to play outside of it. Mm. Uh, at, well, at times, it's kind of ebbs and flows. So it's awesome to say that you, I, I think it's actually going to hold you in a really good stead if you can maintain that 40k needs to be fun. Yeah, um, and I'm lucky. Like I've got, I've got a lot of good support around me. Like Vic is obviously like a really good friend of mine, um, and Vic's wife and, and, and my fiance are good friends. And, and my fiance is like an absolute bedrock of my like mental health and, and mentality as well. You know, um, so behind a behind a strong person, there's always a, a team of people as well. You know, and I got to give credit to those guys. They've helped me through a lot of times where I don't know I've been involved in something, or um, you know, yeah. I've just had a hard run, or some shit's gone down, um, and I've just been like, man, just you know, or something like that. So. Um, yeah, it's important to keep on it. Actually, doing the podcast has been a huge perspective change on me. Um, to have an outlet of Warhammer where you're not... We're, we're, so I, I actually think that having engaging only in Warhammer in a competitive aspect and that being your only focal point of engagement with the game 
uh, is actually is, is going to be very unhealthy in the long run because as soon as you take a loss, that's apparent. That's your whole world coming down. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have other positive um, engagements with the game through other channels other than competitive um, play, then all of a sudden, if you lose a tournament, or, or for me, if you, if I don't win a tournament, uh, it's not so much of a big deal because I've got other positive parts of Warhammer as well. Best best way to be. I absolutely agree. Uh, so let's transition to about you know, 15, 20 minutes talking about your prep for LVO, mm-hmm. your mindset going in, what are you measuring, measuring for. Um, to your knowledge, give us your best take on what the LVO meta will be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Obviously, this is a entirely contextual right? is, <laughs> around so yeah. many decisions. Yeah. So I'll take it, I'll take it three ways. Um, let's talk about um, the meta as it currently stands, so no slate, no points. Uh, yeah, I think that LVO is going to be a great tournament, uh, and I think there are a lot of viable armies that could that could win uh, on PPT. I think the t- the two front runners, the one front runner is T Suns and Flamers, and then I think the second front runner is Tau as well. Tau is very very strong. Dude, um, I I love that. So it seems to like I talk to a lot of people in America, talk to a lot of people in the UK, a lot of people in Australia, and. Only people in the UK and some people oh. in Australia are like, are like uh, Tau's going to win LVO. Oh, man, Tau is so strong. LVO. <laughs> and people yeah. in America, for my mind, haven't said much tohar about it. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think on player place terrain, Tau is obnoxiously strong, especially without guard. If guard with guard in, they have a kind of a check and a balance yeah. um, to some the extent. Waters, yeah. yeah, especially yeah, exactly right. With, and the with shoot the on death. And, mm. and the shoot on death. Because you, you, you pull out a crisis team. You shoot, a, you shoot a battle tank, battle tank shoots you back, half kills the crisis team, next one yep. comes out, finish you off, whatever. Um, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's really kind of, it's man, it's so spicy. And yeah. you're talking about that as the point of view, as in no balanced data slate, no points changes, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, like, I think orcs are really, still really powerful. Pre-slate, pre-points, um, pre orcs are really good. Like, people don't understand that orcs are basically green necrons, <laughs> And you can play the um, well, you can play the the faction that gives you a five up feel no pain against mortal wounds, yep. which is actually really good against thousand suns, of yep. course, because your whole army is obsec as well. Um, so that army is well, really it, powerful. I love that you said that as well because I think yeah I think there's three factions that kind of have amazing secondaries and can mm. beat everybody. The other one's harlequins. Harlequins, orcs, yep. and necrons can just like just do the just do all the stuff needed to win any game. Yep. And then um, you've got you've also yeah. got some dark horses there too, right? Like Votan is a big question, like. Could you know? Could be really solid. They're a bit linear in their play, right? Like a good player can play very well against Votan, and yeah. and Votan kind of can struggle into Thousand Suns. But I don't think Thousand Suns is going to be that popular. But and and Votan is actually quite good into Tau in a lot of ways. Um, so that's a big question. Like well, I also think Sisters might not be that bad as well. You know, play plays well, terrain. It's funny, it's funny you haven't mentioned CSM yet either. Yeah. So I think C- so. The problem is that CSM really struggle against Thousand Suns and Tau. And I know that of the top players. Those are certainly the two largest factions that are going to be looked at. So I think that yep. that's going to just be a natural, um, tough, uh, tough gig for them. I think there will be a lot of if the date slate doesn't go through. I think there will be a lot of bio players um, and a lot of Empress Children players. But I don't think that army's got the strength to compete against what the top players will bring you. Could, couldn't agree more, mate. I, I think the C- CSM is in a really rough spot, mostly because of the T Suns, though. I, I think yeah. how. Yeah. I, th- I think they could build a list for Tau, but that list just gets annihilated by T-Suns. So, the problem, yeah, um, I mean, Riptides just shred through Flame, uh, just shred through uh, Terminators as well, which is tough. Even with yeah, Transhitman, yeah. you know, you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm turning on fours anyway, right? Winning on, winning and on they, threes, and then you're on your own bun. Everyone kills one. 
but the, I think the biggest problem is that they just really just don't have a solution for the Bombers. Like exactly just right. Get yeah. to freaking do whatever and, and they it, freaking want. And actually, Tal have great secondaries. Um, a lot of people don't understand this, but Tal secondaries are really good. <laughs> Decisive Tal action is really good. Yeah. And repair the relays thing uh, is is really good well, as well because you can do it at the Tal's, end. Of the my issue with Tal secondaries is they're all kind of built into being. If I'm already winning the game, I'm getting a big score. Uh, yeah. But it, but, they're, was, but they're powerful in that weird. they let you play a passive game because you, your your secondaries and your army strength really kick in on turn three, so you don't actually need to play aggressive on turn one two. That's but right, you yeah. but you actually you're playing an army that can get really rewarded for playing aggressive, right? You can redeploy crisis suits, move eighteen inches, full rerolls to hit and wound, <laughs> yeah, um, dude. and just annihilate stuff, right? So and they're tanky as well, like tower really tanky too. Um, but yeah, so, overall mega powerful army. So you're saying Tau has a good game into T-Suns? Yeah. Uh, mm, mm. <laughs> um, I would want to play the T-Suns end of that for sure, yeah. Because, Me too. And I've played this a couple of times. Um, and obviously Vic uh, uh, beat Nassim um, in a recent tournament. Uh, and then uh, Lester that he won. And the reason why T-Suns is kind of good into Tau is that you can play passive and win. And, or you can play aggressive and win. Which is the right side of the coin that you want to be on. Because you can play passive and score good points. And then force tower into you, and then counter punch when they when they show face, uh, and then you can just try and like temporal surge your units to deny primary, or you can play aggressive. Which out of all the options, I'm probably one of the more known players in the NL scene to play aggressive. Um, you know, you can teleport your terminators, your exalted sorcerer, your change caster turn one. Um, you know, smite off chaff, and then double infernal gateway into you know hitting the plane, which can hit stuff around it, and then shooting terminators plus one to wound. Um, but you know. That has a trade-off of like, oh, they can counter punch into your terminators, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but you, know, yeah. you might have swamped the board, and then you can pressure the primary that way. So yeah, you've got lots of options, which puts the tower in a tough position against a really good player. But it's not—it's by no means a given. It's a—it's re- still a mega, really skill-based uh, matchup for sure. So this is the weird part of the podcast because I've seen—I've uh, um, seen most of what's coming out. Um, right. I've had the had the opportunity to. Uh, thanks to Art of War and my NDA with them, I've seen most of what's coming out. Can't tell you anything about it. Hmm. But I don't. When I talk to people, I don't know who knows what. I don't know yeah. who knows. I mean, I don't know release dates or anything. I don't know when stuff is supposed to come out. I don't know when um, moratoriums or the NDAs get lifted, and I can talk about things. Probably, I'm waiting for to be told that literally week by week, mm-hmm. kind of day by day. Um, but to your to to what you know, and please don't break into your own NDAs or put yourself in any 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 dodgy positions. Yeah. Um, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I guess I'll just preface it with like I have um, Vic and I have, uh, through the podcast have no relationship with GW or, or NDAs or whatnot like that. Um, we basically have we you know as crazy as it sounds like you know Dice Down is the number two team in the world and has consistently been the number two team in the world for the last oh, like, three just years. Sitting right? here over, but, just sitting here over the, over on the number one team, yeah. have contributed literally <laughs> nothing to but, that team winning. <laughs> but, but what I would say is we fight for scraps and rumors like literally everyone else. Um, so, uh, you know, that's whether or not that provides us with a competitive disadvantage is <laughs> pretty obvious, but, um, yeah, so I don't, I, I basically just know the rumors like, like everyone else, like I've, there are some points rumors around, uh, Marines and, and death guard and, and what like that. And, and basically what, uh, <laughs> got spoiled, uh, on the glory, <laughs> death and glory channel <laughs> recently. Um, yeah. uh, and then, and then the data slate changes. So to the best of my knowledge, um, admic, uh, get a buff. Custodians uh, get some small buffs, but Tyranids basically get annexed uh, into unplayability, um, which is uh, you know maybe 
uh, good or bad. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but one of the big changes is aircraft obviously lose. Um, no, no, so, uh, I, I was, I, sorry, I wasn't, wasn't asking for an extrapolation. I was asking, oh. what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is the meta going to be like? Oh, yeah. Those things. Like, is it. If, is the LVO going to take him, not take him? Like, if they do, does, is that better for you, worse for you? Yeah. Right, so yeah. More about, more about your mindset and how you're feeling about things. Oh, right, yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm really nervous about it because, obviously, people like myself and other top players in the world that are going to compete and win have the most on the line, um, mm. the most invested into this, not obviously financially as well, right? Um, so it's just really nervous. It's, it's nerve-wracking to be in a position where – such a large so much is kind of on the line and you're so so invested in it and you don't have this the solid grounds or the reassurance from tos or games workshop that what you're planning to bring is going to be legal so i think from a player's perspective honestly that really sucks like i think the best thing about uktc is it has rules and you know release dates and you, you you're very comfortable in terms of the to will not change rules or anything like that around what will and won't be legal. And actually, Zach is really active on saying this will be not legal, this is not this yep, is legal. Yep. Whereas I think there's yep. been a lot of flip-flopping from frontline gaming so, for whatever reasons yeah. recently, which is, uh, a, I mean, yeah, it's a tough position as a player. For those for those at home who don't quite know what's going on, frontline gaming has come out on the front foot and said, we've been playing this mission pack for the last six months. We intend to finish the season, the LVO, the ITC season, with this mission pack, that being the Nephilim mission pack. Um, I think they're going to stick to their guns and be like, we're not adopting a new mission pack no matter when it comes out. That's totally fair enough. What they have gone kind of back on and forth on is adopting a balanced data slate. Now, the reason I believe that they've left that door open is because they would want to adopt nerfs more than they mm. want to adopt buffs. They want the option to nerf flamers, should the, should that be what the data slate does. <laughs> they want the option to nerf spore mines, should that be what the data slate does. And so they've left that door open. The problem is, I'm of the opinion that you can't have the data slate without the points. Mm-hmm. And if but, it comes out and they look at it and be like, well, this is insane. If we adopt this, the game is a joke unless we adopt this also. Mm-hmm. So I'm of the opinion we adopt none. And I, my preference would be don't, don't adopt any of it. Mm-hmm. How would you feel about that? Yeah, so I th- I, like I said at the start, I think we're in a beautiful state of the game where I think the meta is as healthy as it's ever been. And I think it's a real shame to delegitimize out of Las Vegas Open by adopting such a monumental change to the game, monumental untested change to the game um, at the end of what is going to be a beautiful season and arguably the most competitive season of, of Weimar ever to be played. 100%. Um, with, the, with everyone, like, for example, the top five players or something like that are all content creators as well, you know? Like, there's never been a more a golden age of competitive 40K than this one. Um, and what I would say is that if the if the if the slate goes through, if so, so you touched on a great point, which is that when GW does balance, and I'm of the opinion that GW are very much fine tuning in their approach and how they balance the game, and they're taking a much more sophisticated approach to it. And when they release a, a major update, so we've got points, slate, and mission. If you only were to implement one of those, it's completely decontextualized as to what the balance is supposed to look like. For example, the yep. slate is supposed to work with the points. And the slate is supposed to work with um, the Ark of Omen, new detachment, new missions. It's all supposed to be implemented together. You don't run a business and, and, and implement a third of a project. Like, that's, that's never going to work, yeah. right? So, <laughs> so what I will say is that if, this, if the balance data slate goes through, based on, the, based on the rumors, I know for a fact, well, I don't know for a fact, but I think LVO is going to be a, a very bad tournament um, because I think if only the slate goes through, there's a very clearly best army in the game. And it begins with T, and it's, the middle letter is A, and the last letter is 
you. <laughs> so Tau are going to be extremely dominant, I think, if the slay goes through. And you may say, hey, look, you can't start no aircrafts. But the fact of the matter is that every single army gets nerfed significantly more than them, and they're already arguably the best army in the game. And the pivot from two bombers to no bombers is, is super simple. Dude, I've been practicing so the many- list. Uh, uh, there are so yeah. many viable tower builds that aren't getting played because it's yeah. already a best thing. Like there, there is a Riptide based archetype. There is a Hammerhead based archetype. There is a yep. Crisis Suit based armor type. There's, there's a Devilfish based archetype. Yep. That you know, um, there is a Commander based archetype, which I don't think that's that's going to be adopted because you can't. I don't think you can do that in Ark of Omens so much. You can mm. you get your two commanders and that's pretty much it. Although can you get three in Farsight well, in Ark of Omens? Well. <laughs> Well, it's funny that you see the commander uh, archetype doesn't get better because that's obviously what we we play over here as well. Is that two riptides yeah. like uh, farsight, shadow sun, two commanders, so four commanders total, um, five suits and three suits, right? Uh, and and guys, like this this list is mega strong. Like I would not be surprised if the seven out of eight armies in the top eight were all tau. Like if the data slate, if the data in. slate, oh, no, no, only if the slate comes in. Because just the slate, not the just the slate. You, exactly yeah. right. Because there yeah, was yeah, a lot yeah. of discussion about only the slate being in whatnot like that. And because, if uh, yeah, that's... You, you're absolutely right. Because as it sits right now, only a data slate would be adopted if G- if LVO sticks to its guns. Right. So I've also heard some rumors that perhaps um, LVO is going to put a vote on, and it wouldn't surprise me, on the points and the slate being um, being introduced. And that wouldn't surprise me because obviously the points and the slate are going to come out together. And it's a digital content, so it's not gonna, like it needs to physically ship, right? Like they just put it on the website. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, and it, it would be much worse to only have the slate than points and slate. So, in another world where we um, have the points and the slate, I think the tournament is going to be eight out of eight Space Marines, probably. Because <laughs> I mean, I don't know if <laughs> so some of the rumors the are opinion. true. Like you can play like yeah. yeah, I mean, you can play like twenty seven hundred equivalent points or something of Space Marines. Like what? I don't know. Uh, like this is crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you, you you think you've heard some stuff about the points reductions? Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. They get like I don't know some like a free war gear and stuff like that too. Like, what? yeah, like plasma interceptors go down from sixty to forty points. Like, okay, sure. If you think this meta is unbalanced, wait until every single person is playing fifteen plasma interceptors. Like, but I mean, that's yeah, crazy. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. We've, I think people that, are, that stuff is true. It's gonna get wild. I think people so are gonna, gonna be in a wild. for a really big um, shock if they think that. The meta at the moment, with flamers being the boogeyman, like okay, <laughs> like okay, like if you think that that's an issue, I think you're in, uh, in for a hell of a ride. Um, well, so, in, yeah. you're context, contextually correct. Like the if if the flamer has shown us anything, it's that we're pretty spoiled. Uh, yeah, as, flamers as are not has gone. The flamers are not compared, anywhere near as broken as as dude, many things have been. A dark technomancer liquefies. We want to talk about what actual broke flamers look like. Yeah, uh, dude, there's so many other examples in Ninth Edition that would make flamers blush, being like, "Oh, exactly. we're actually not that bad, are we?" The main Rock reason flamers are buggies, freaking nine of the bastards. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this explains, right? Like, the main reason flamers are yes. powerful in Thousand Suns, only one army that isn't mega popular, um, because it takes a good pilot as well. The only reason they're powerful is because their their defensive profile is actually too good. If they nerf the defensive profile and leave the offensive profile. I think that they get, you know, and maybe put the points up a little bit. Maybe that's good, but obviously there's rumors that they need to hit to uh, to wound or something like that. Uh, they need to, oh, they don't, they don't auto hit or something, right? Which decreases oh, so, their yeah, output by a third, essentially. <laughs> which is how good is it? They called flamers, but they have to roll the <laughs> That would be hilarious. Yeah. But like in T Suns, yeah. like I still think that's a really good list because you can still have a fast moving unit that's tough and do banners and is infantry. It's still an infantry unit, right? Um, so yeah. 
it's interesting, like, man, like, all these things, are, like, I guess the, the overarching point about all these discussions and points I've just put on is that what I would say is that if there was a vote, I would hope it would be no. And I think if the vote goes through yes to make changes to the game, it would make the game significantly worse than it currently is. And I think that would really spoil the the great state of the game that we have for LVO. Like, I cannot tell you what army is going to win LVO in its current state. Right now? Right yeah. now, I couldn't have a coin flip. In fact, I, I'm not even sure I could pick a top eight. I would probably pick a player by, rather than anything. Yeah, exactly right. In most years gone by, I have picked the I've picked more than half the top eight correct. Yeah. At the start of the LVO. Like when I commentated so when I watched the whole thing in twenty nineteen, when I commentated twenty commentated twenty twenty, and again this year in twenty twenty two, I've picked the top eight really freaking well. I don't have a clue. Like you said, I would just have to pick players. There's no way I can pick factions. Exactly, yeah. So it's man, it's interesting times, but obviously from a player's perspective, it's really frustrating to be in this zone because um, you know, know, we we've yeah. got to sort out lists, we've got to sort out models, we've got to test lists and everything like that. And obviously, like, like guys, Vic and I, it's not a full time job to play this game, right? Like, yeah. we, we, like I'm, I'm a senior data scientist. I work, you know, work as my normal job. I got rent to pay, I got bills to pay, I got stuff to worry about. I got a wedding to plan. I've got so much stuff. On. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, 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 like I don't have the opportunity to just um, have access to all this terrain. Um, you know, I, I've got to play just like every, everyone else, really, just a bit more dedicated well, to some degree. So what are you focusing on right now? Because, I mean, you can't just be sitting on your hands thinking you're going to wait to see what happens and win the LVO. What's your yeah. prep right now, uh, and, and what are you doing to put yourself in the best position to win it? Yeah, well, my, my preparation has changed a little bit, uh, literally just last night when I when apparently they might be thinking about the points. So I've got to try and take a stab at what I think the points might be, like what some lists might be, and I've got a team of people that I play online with um uh yami paris and uh yoku uh, johansson is two people i play with nice. a lot uh, nasim fushane brian seep um so a lot of those guys coming from the uk to come over and play in lvo are all really dedicated and trying to figure out what the best lists are um so i've got a list that i'll play if nothing gets adopted i'll be playing a thousand sons of flamers because let's be honest i'm addicted to casting spells anyways <laughs> um, but no that list is i mean i just love that list uh, it's so much fun to, it's just really fun to play as well um, and then if the slate goes through, um, you know, I might have to play the old, uh, I might have to call the wag, uh, <laughs> I play orcs yeah. because I don't want to play Tal too. Like everyone's going to be playing yeah. Tal. Like, I don't know, man, like uh, this is too much for me. I, I don't want to play Tal if literally everyone is going to be playing it. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy. Like I, I'm going to well, play a strong army, but I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> nothing could be sadder than everyone just playing like first turn win gun lines. It exactly. Would just right. Be, yeah. So crap. So well, imagine crap. watching. Imagine watching streams of the top eight, and everyone is playing Tau. Like, how boring is that going to be, right? Um, so I'm going to be yeah. commentating that crap. It's going to be yeah. awful. It's going to be awful. You know, like which models are those? Which ones? Are, yeah, I think. Okay, some that shots. Doesn't like, matter. Some players rolling well, dice. Like, okay, something's happening. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, what am I going to do when every game lasts 45 minutes because people rolled for first turn, shook hands? Yeah, like, exactly right. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's that's yeah. going to be a rough one. And then if points come out um, and the slate comes out. Who knows, man? I think like there's some rumors that Admech might be getting some buffs. Um, so I'll obviously be checking them yeah. out because I played them previously. Um, yeah. Turnit's obviously axed. So, but I mean, at the bare minimum, like I'll be I'll be having to lean on my teammates to get models um, to get stuff sorted and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean that's that's obviously the huge advantage I have is that I'm a part of the world, one of the world's best teams with the world's most talented players, and um, <laughs> they really help us with everything. <laughs> yeah, right. 
I, I love it. I love your excitement. I'm, apologies, you know, it's got nothing to do with me, but I'm, I'm sorry about all the nervousness and anxiety this is causing innumerable people right now. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just telling the story as it is, you know. Like, people think yeah, that dude, people just that. see the numbers and they see the wins and stuff like that, and they don't really see, like, there's a human being behind uh, behind a lot and of it. There's, there's, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you're like a lot of your like competitive players out there. This is culmination of hundreds if not thousands upon thousands of hours of practice and work. <laughs> do you want to see my TTS hours on Steam, mate? <laughs> oh, dude, no. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I ain't got time for that. But anyway, on that note, we will wrap up this part one, jump over in part two. We're going to unpack a bit more of that uh, David Gaylard mindset. What makes him good about 40K? What are the talents and tricks and what is his identity on the table? You know, what really defines him as a 40k player and uh, identity even so please come over and join us patron art of war down under we will catch you there thank you so much to everybody who's already migrated over from the website um do greatly appreciate that because you know naturally uh i need to keep uh, this baby afloat <laughs> and um it's very motivating ha- having like a bunch of people who are just expecting content from you week in week out it, uh, it's very motivating. I always, I'm always trying to stay on the edge and always put some awesome stuff out for people. But David, please tell people where they can catch you and if you've got an, an episode coming out in the coming week, what's it about? Yeah, so um, we, we took some time off over Christmas, but you can catch us at the 40K Fireside Podcast. If you if what I've said resonates with you, then what Vickers say is going to resonate even better because um, he's extremely talented to play. And we, and we basically just have real chats around our experience in 40K, what we think the meta is going to be, what we think is going to be powerful, dissecting all the new changes and whatnot like that. And uh, right, nice digestible uh, podcast format. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, and on that note, thank you very much, guys. Enjoy the rest of your holidays. If there's still holidays, I don't know when this episode is coming out. But yeah, take care. I'll see you soon at the LVO. And uh, yeah, look forward to all of it. It's going to be an exciting end of the season one way or another. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K, hosted by Adam Camilleri, produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under, signing out from tomorrow. Tomorrow.